thanks for joining us for a new episode of Conversations and Connections. This is the podcast from the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the agency. And with me today, co-hosting, I have Will Wyndham, who is our BIP coordinator. Hey, Will. Good morning to you. Uh, now, BIP, just real quick, it's Battering Intervention and Prevention Program. Correct. Correct. Okay. Uh, just so we know what Will does. Anyway, today we thought, uh, since we have two guys talking on the podcast, uh, we would tackle the topic of healthy masculinity. Um, and I think, Will, this can be a touchy subject, especially in rural East Texas, maybe. Um, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so... We're just going to talk a little bit about healthy masculinity, what it is, also what it isn't, and maybe talk about how healthy masculinity or masculinity in general may be portrayed in our society and in the media as well, and just kind of see where the where the conversation takes us. So anyway, um, I guess first of all, I always, even when we do trainings, we'll always like to say when we start talking about gender socialization and and healthy masculinity, we're not saying men need to stop being men. That's right. I think um, masculinity has been such a uh, hot topic recently. Um, of course, uh, uh, outside of the prevention that we do, I get the majority of my information and, and my work comes from the Battering Intervention Program, which is intervention with men who've been convicted of some intimate partner violence. But yeah, I think it's important to just understand what does it mean when we say masculinity, right? What does that mean for all the men that right. we see? So I think it's important to start there. I mean, uh, what do we even mean when we say a person is maybe masculine or not masculine? Or what is masculinity, period? Right. And I think a lot of it has to do, again, and we'll talk about gender socialization. Of course, when we talk about gender socialization, uh, we're basically talking about how society dictates how men are supposed to act, how women are supposed to act, and... And, and whatnot, and, and we'll we'll get all of the, all of that out. But I think a lot of times when we start talking about this, a lot of men automatically assume that we're asking them to surrender their male identity, and we're not asking them to do that. But I think it can be carried to a certain extent where it can be risk fact. Uh, it can pose risk factors eventually um, for possible. Elements that could lead to sexual assault and uh, domestic violence issues. Sure, and I know that uh, in our trainings that we've uh, co-facilitated, we talk so much about that. And um, you know what? How do men come to this idea of uh, what it means to be masculine? Right? What is society told us about uh, what it means to be masculine? Where did we get our ideas of what it what it means to be? You know, what is manhood? I think. Um, I've heard talks recently about the, we love this idea of toxic masculinity. And so many people, I think, are against kind of just that idea that um, denigrating masculinity, right? Sure. So yeah. um, as we like to say in our groups, which you're all 18 and older, is that we're not necessarily trying to neuter men here, 
right? We're not <laughs> saying that um, if you come talk to us as men, you're going to leave as something different, right? But we just want to have this conversation with you uh, and folks and say, look, this idea of masculinity, it, it can both be harmful or it can be really good for you. And so we usually just try to hash that out. Right. And um, I guess in a, in a nutshell, when we, when we, when we, we talk about um, healthy masculinity, you know, one of the things I always tell whoever I'm presenting to or whoever I'm doing a training to, basically it's saying, you know, guys, you know, we're brought up, you know, it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Uh, it's okay to cry when you're happy. It's okay to cry when you're sad. It's okay to share your feelings with, um, with your bros. You know, I mean, it's, it's okay to do that. It's, it's not, as Will said, we're not neutering uh, your, your, your masculinity. And I think um, other than the, the traditional sense of, of, of being masculine, um, masculinity to me, you know, means um, that it's okay, you know, that you're comfortable enough in your masculine skin that you don't feel threatened if you help your better half do chores around the house. If you carry, if you share domestic duties, if you do cry, if you want to watch a quote unquote girl movie with your spouse or with your girlfriend or with your significant other, your partner, uh, it's okay. And you're not going to have to have your man card revoked. I guess. True. Yeah. I agree (laughs) with that. I think that, um, you know, we hold fast to these ideas of, of masculinity, and, and really that's the mechanism that keeps the the toxic piece in place, if you will, is that um, as men, we're so scared to be thrown away by other men. And we know from the playground in, you know, third grade that that is absolutely what you don't want to do. And the, and the way you get thrown away, quote unquote, is by appearing this weak um, or less than this masculine idea. So that is definitely uh, the mechanics that keep men, um, you know, sort of adherent to these ideas that um, masculinity means aggression, it, it means force, it means power. And of course, as we know, the whole um, issue behind domestic violence is power and control. And I think when you start looking at statistics around domestic violence and the majority of men are perpetrating that, it's no wonder that we have this conversation about masculinity must mean in some way um, you have this power and control. Right. And I think before we go any further, because I want to ask you your opinions on this, when we say you're with the BIT program, the battering intervention, um, prevent, uh, battering, batterers intervention and prevention program, uh, just briefly, and I'm sure in a later episode we'll talk more about BIP in general, but just overall real quick, what is BIP? So BIP is a diversion program by the Department, Texas Department of Criminal Justice where men who've been convicted of or they're in pretrial for or, they, or maybe they've just decided to volunteer for a diversion program related to intimate partner violence. So the majority of our men come to us uh, via probation or parole. And they've all either been convicted of or they've had some issue with intimate partner violence uh, towards 
a, a female intimate partner. And for 24 weeks of group, we talked to these men uh, really about all the things that we just wouldn't be able to get into here, but around what it means to be a man, um, about empathy, about about communicating, about how just this idea of this toxic masculinity is not only bad for the person that you're in the relationship with, but it's also really unhealthy for you as a man. <laughs> now, with that being said, your experience in in talking with uh, the guys in your group and my experience, and and by the way, Will is also part of the prevention program, so we, we've we facilitate a lot of uh, prevention trainings uh, together when we used to do them in person. Uh, yes. Uh, do you feel the whole message of healthy masculinity? And we'll and we'll get into the details here in just a second of the gender socialization elements and uh, why we feel they may support a toxic environment at times. How is this message received to the guys that uh, you deal with in BIP, or how do you feel it's it's received to the guys when we do prevention work? So I think to the general group of men that we see or maybe the guys that 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 we've facilitated to in, in prevention I think initially you kind of get this pushback because it becomes a threat to this idea of maybe power and control that they do have uh, or they perceive to have um it's definitely um, again, if the ultimate goal on the playground is to, to not appear weak, and then obviously we're going to start trying to have a conversation with what they believe is how we're going to teach them to look this way or act this way, they're typically resistant. Um, but I think uh, men love a challenge. So anytime we challenge them to think about these things, uh, I think they're more than willing uh, to usually do it. At least they appear that way and say to us they are. Right. Um so when we when we talk about gender socialization and the risk factors associated with that, uh, one of the key elements when we talk about uh, that is, first of all, toxic masculinity. Some people use the term hypermasculinity uh, or toxic masculinity, uh, and basically that just means um, taking that to you know. Men aren't supposed, you know. Men aren't supposed to cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna show my feelings. Uh, when I come home from work, uh, you know, my woman better have dinner on the table. It's the woman's place to stay at home and raise the kids. Uh, it's my job to go out and and work and make a living. And that's how a lot of people are raised. It's with, and we're not saying that behavior in itself. The people who exhibit that behavior, they're gonna go out and commit sexual assault or domestic violence, right? It's just that um, it doesn't help. <laughs> right, and I think that um, if we just think for a minute about a scenario where we've all, maybe ourselves have done that, or we know someone that have had this overexpression of these ideas about what it means to be masculine, even for some of the guys we see that are younger in prevention, you know, this idea of uh, as many women as you can sleep with, you got to have this car, you have to have this money, um, in East Texas, we love to have these really large trucks with really big tires and, you know, and we drive real fast and we, we black smoke everybody with our diesel engines. Just over these overexpressions of masculinity, 
um, that's going to show up in a relationship you have with someone. So again, like you're saying, um, a man may have a, 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 he may be in a relationship with a female, but if he believes that, you know, as a man, he must sleep with as many women as he can, when he starts a relationship with someone else, there's going to be problems in that original relationship, right? So that's just where those things can, one example where those things can show up. Right. Um, you know, and one of the examples I like to get, I like to give when we do our presentations is the first time we're ever, ever exposed to gender socialization is when we're born. You know, our society says, if you got a baby boy, you dress them in blue. If it's a baby girl, you dress them in pink. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but that's just a good example of just, uh, that's just gender socialization. And, you know, if you have a if you have a toddler and they fall and they skin their knee, if it's a little girl, you're more than likely to go up to them and, oh, my poor baby, it's okay. Let mommy or daddy make it feel better. It's okay. And if it's a boy that falls and skins their knee and they start crying, I think oftentimes we're going to say, now, a big boy, you're a big boy, you know, you're not supposed to cry. And again, I think that just kind of sets up for later in life. And again, I always use the example, okay, then when these kids get into high school or college, if it's a if it's a guy, they have a lot of dates and they sleep with a lot of their dates, they have a lot of sex, they're kind of they're almost revered, you know. Uh sure. they're almost, hey, you're a big man on campus, you know, I want to be like that guy. He's a stud. And if you have a young woman that does the same behaviors, she's a slut. You know, and but it's it's the same behavior. But again, that's how society reflects that behavior, whether you're uh, whether you're a guy or a girl. Absolutely, and I think some of the horrible double standards that we see every day related to that um, situation. But you know, the things you mentioned, society typically rewards a man for. You know, again, if you sleep with a lot of women, you're really revered in this society. If you make a lot of money and order people around, you wield a lot of power, you're rewarded in our culture for that. And that just reinforces um, some of these ideas that that trend to be um, toxic uh, masculinity. And then, of course, all our young men are looking at these guys with a lot of power, lots of women, uh, lots of cars, um, and of course, that's who we want to be, and mm-hmm. that just perpetuates some of our ideas around. Sure, sure. And a lot of it starts when you're kids. Like I say, you know, the, the bully sure. on the playground, they're more than likely to pick on uh, the the kid that maybe isn't that athletic that, you know, and everything. They're going to be looked down. There's a – what's the coach that does the TED Talk? Uh, Joe Ehrman. Um, he does this TED Talk where he talks about uh, – especially I think when we're young and when we're kids, so much of your masculinity is centered on your athletic ability. Certainly. And so when, if, if, if uh, you have a child that's not exactly athletic, they're almost going to not be, not going to be seen as masculine as uh, a kid that is. Absolutely. You know? So again, that's just how, again, that goes back to the term gender socialization. That's pretty much what we're talking about. Uh, another thing that we usually address when we, when we talk about this is objectification of women. Um, you know, why does a girl in a bikini need to be on an ad selling a hamburger or a socket set, some tools, you know, obviously 
she's there to be eye candy and to attract eyes to the ad. And Absolutely. I always talk about that. And then always, you know, I lead off with the question, you know, what's the biggest moneymaker that there is on the internet? And it's porn. And that's probably Absolutely. the most blatant, obvious um, example of uh, objectification. Yes, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, for years it's been subtle. I, I think that we probably have just seen it explode in, in our lifetimes. And, um, you know, I think that uh, in our work, it's we don't talk so much about pornography. It still seems kind of like carry a, a negative connotation. But what we know is that, you know, uh, billions, millions, billions of people are using pornography, right? How is it the number one industry in the world? No one wants to talk about it. And of course, I think when we talk about the objectification of women, we could spend all day on pornography. But I think the best example that when we talk about this, which is related to sexual assault, is that when young boys are learning that relationships or they're getting sex education from pornography is where we start to have problems. We ask lots of questions. And of course, you know, let us know if you've noticed this. But uh, when do people in pornography uh, really exemplify anything that resembles a loving relationship? I mean, they just don't act those things out. There is no communicating. There's no hugging. Typically, not a lot of kissing. And it's just this idea that if we've got a seven or eight year old boy watching this, what does he then believe years later when he has a girlfriend at fourteen right. or fifteen years old? Sure. You know? And that reminds me, I shared it with you and everybody else on the prevention team, and I, I can't think of the title. You can probably go on YouTube and, and search for, I think it was from New, it was a PSA from New Zealand. It was New Zealand, um, I don't want to call it a, a porn PSA, but maybe it was on Consent PSA. If you go on YouTube and look at it, but it's probably one of the most, um, uh, they a good use of humor to get across, hey, you need to make sure, you need to have a talk with your kids about consent and sex because they're watching it online, whether you like it or not. Um, but it's a really good PSA, and they use they use humor in it. Uh, basically, it's this couple that shows up at this house. Hey, is little Jimmy here? You know, we've met him online. You know, he's watched us <laughs> had sex, and the mother is appalled, and then little Jimmy comes down, and he's freaking out because these people <laughs> showed up at his house. But um, it is a very clever way to get that uh, to get that point across. And I guess we should say, um, especially for me, when I was in my teens, there wasn't internet, so you didn't have access to porn. You know, you, you had to send your older brother or your older friends into the Seven Eleven to buy a Playboy for you. Uh, and now, I mean, it's so easy. So, Are you 18 or over? Well, of course I am. Click, and there it is. Yeah, yeah it's so widely available, I think. And then, of course, um, you know, pornography, I know that we've had this conversation, probably set to explode around the ills to society. No one, again, really talks about pornography. Even in our line of work, they touch on it some, but it's not become some mainstream idea where all trainings that we were going to in the past were talking about the ill effects of pornography. But I think it also, pornography also creates less empathy for women. I mean, what, you know, and for folks that watch pornography, the next time you turn that on, 
what do you think the woman is feeling? I mean, I mean, is there any anything that resembles a relationship there other than sexual content? Probably not. But if that's the main thing we're propagating to young men, or just our youth in general, what then? Again, what then do they believe a relationship is centered around when they start dating? Well, we must have sex right away, right? Or the, even I think in um, the rise of dating apps and things, you know, right. I think it's a, if you just ask around friends and other people, it's like if the female doesn't sleep with the guy on the first night or something, that the relationship's basically bunk, right? Right. And I think sometimes also the prevalence of so much pornography uh, almost desensitizes us to the excitement and thrill of eventually... Uh, Engaged in sex. Sure. You know, because, well, you're seeing it all the time. Well, you know, my partner, if she can't do what I'm seeing online, well, I'm not interested in that, you know. Or it's just like, eh, you know, it's not a big deal, I guess. Yeah, and it even comes to the consent. I mean, you see all these women or these couples in pornography doing these things and it's just a given that they're expected to perform that when in real life you, you need consent for those things and so it's no wonder that you know a, a young man brought up on pornography is going to get caught up mm-hmm. sometime with saying hey you know i didn't consent to that or um and then they're in some trouble so there's a there's a whole nother side to pornography sure. is the consent issue as well and i think this Makes an excellent segue to briefly talking about male entitlement. Um, you know, uh, so many men today, or young men, boys, whatever, um, when we talk about, you know, again, and it kind of goes into toxic masculinity, I think also, a lot of men believe that if they're in a relationship, um, they deserve sex whenever they want, you know, regardless if the par- their partner's in the mood or not. Well, I want sex, and you're my wife, or you're my girlfriend, or you're my partner, and well, that's what you need. You need to satisfy that. Absolutely. I mean, I think a male entitlement is a big piece of that. I think again, if we just jump real quick back to pornography. Um, all the men that are existing in that realm, they're just entitled, right? There is no consent given. They don't ask. They don't seem to care about feelings. They just take what they want, how they want, and then uh, it's over, right? The clip is yeah. over. Um, and so, again, I think the when have men or boys ever been taught that, hey, you should communicate with your partner about sex, right? Again, as a movement, I think sometimes we struggle to bring that up all the time, especially mm-hmm. around pornography. So it's not like, you know, uh, men from older generations are, are putting their arm around young men and saying, have you ever thought about talking to your partner about sex? You know, what? The, yeah, huh? what? we're going to get a, <laughs> we're going to get a strange look. Um, right. And again, I think that uh, the media thing you did where you were looking for the clip where the man was, uh, deciding to back off of the sexual encounter, mm-hmm. and we could, yeah. you know, you could only find one clip in all your hours of looking. Right. So I think that just speaks to it because most of the time, you know, I think male entitlement. Again, we can harken back to the idea of that men just believe that getting the the sex is a game. So you know, just the first no from the female is the beginning of some game for him, some 
quest to try to convince her, right, to have sex with him. Right. So, again, male entitlement. And, of course, you know, we've been talking a lot about pornography. Uh, but also, I think it would be unfair for us not to at least address mainstream media as well and its influence on what is masculine and how our society uh, represents that. I mean, uh, look at uh, TV shows, movies, magazines, um, the imagery that's, you know, and again, and and people are probably kind of tired of me saying this. I'm I'm not saying that, you know, I've enjoyed my share of what you would call manly movies, I guess, you know, the shoot 'em up car chase, you know, uh, I, I enjoy that. And I'm not saying that people who do, it's going to turn you into a, a, um, someone who commits sexual assaults or, or, or domestic violence. But I think it's still fair to kind of show, I think our media is a good represent representation of how our society looks at, at that topic. Um, you know, look at, I guess I got, well, and what I'm getting at, I guess I want to just get your opinion. Uh, mainstream media, movies, TV, how big of a part do you, do you think that plays in how we grow up and then our perception of masculinity? Yeah, certainly. I think it's huge. I think that when the men we see in our group, we challenge them to think about their parents or their fathers or or someone in their life that kind of guided them. Not all men have that. Um, But then the second most influential uh, factor, I believe, has to be media. I mean, you're consuming it at at uh, you know three, four years old, you're in the grocery line with with mom or dad, and you're seeing the magazines, you know, Men's Health that we like to look at. This is right. this is what you must do to be be a man. And then obviously, the reverse of that, we look at the women's fitness, and if a guy's reading that, all he he says, oh, women must just be talking to other women about how to look good, how to have sex, how to please a man. I, I think it's it's huge. I think uh, you know Hollywood and all its misgivings. They certainly portray the uh, machismo man very well what it means to be like that but it's kind of mm-hmm. like um you know and, and i don't know if you've seen the latest toy story i don't know why you would of course i've got kids at home <laughs> you don't one, you don't know maybe yeah, i have perhaps. i have yeah. but go yeah. ahead um there's a guy in there duke kaboom <laughs> you can look up the the clip uh on youtube and uh you know he's gotten for christmas and he's on a motorcycle and he's supposed to be able to jump through this thing and and when he can't as a toy but the commercial shows it you know, the toy's having a hard time. He's saying, oh, it's not real. It's a commercial. <laughs> and, and so That's I, I, awesome. Yeah, and you can look the clip up on YouTube, you know, just Duke Kaboom. But uh, he's always complaining, you know, his, his uh, I believe the, the kid that gets him is Canadian. His name's Rajon, and he's telling him, you know, it's not real, Rajon. It's a commercial. <laughs> and so it's, uh, uh, but, you know, I think media has such a it wields such power that we just believe that that's real because it's what we're shown you right know? right um and of course we we've and we're almost out of time so we don't have a lot of time, a lot of time to delve into like music uh but you know a lot of music even older music like if you listen to some country and western songs from the 60s and 70s and I know it's kind of a cliche but it's about cheating on your spouse, and I'm hey, I 
I'm a firm lover of of classic country music. I'm not knocking it as a genre, but listen, I think a lot of times, and even modern music, I think we get so caught up in um, and in the beat and um, and whatnot, or or the rhythm of the music, you don't pay attention to the lyrics. And next time you're on, you're in the car and you're listening to the radio, just listen to to actually listen to lyrics. I think it may um, it may shock you what they're what they're singing about. And when I say that, I'm talking about you know the degrading the degrading attitudes towards towards women, or or the uh, casual attitudes about sexual relationships and things like that. Which we could probably devote a whole podcast just on Absolutely. the media um, and video games. Uh, I play a lot of video games. I'm not. I, I'm. I'm. I'm not ashamed to say that. And I see it in some of the games I play. You know, Call of Duty, um, Doom. Those those types of games. You know, where you know you're running around, blowing up stuff, and 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 shooting everything. And again, I'm not saying that uh, video games are going to turn your child into a uh, predator or into a uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um some offender a perpetrator uh you know it's not going to turn them into a perpetrator you know but uh and again i'm not going to get on my soapbox but i have been in a GameStop where a parent is with their child i want to play this game okay and they pay no attention to the rating that's on the game or what it contains. And I guess just what I'm getting at is um, I think nowadays we need, when we talk about the media we consume, we need also look at video games because that's fastly uh, growing into the mainstream media now, along with TV shows and movies. Yeah, I think if we pulled up some figures, we would probably see that you know certain age groups spend a, a uncountable amount of time on video games. In fact, I read an article this week where on um, I believe it's on uh, Roblox, where um, which is massively popular apparently, where you can create your own server and they call them condos, and these kids flock to what they call these condos in the game, and in the game they're just like square. Um, like animations running around, mm-hmm. but they're nude and and like performing <laughs> sexual acts. I mean, and how young are these kids? And they're interested in in what what is a condo? What is sex? What's a relationship? Let me go check that out. And then the things they pick up may be not healthy. And of course, this is probably a, a topic for an, another another episode. But again, I think that's just a the video, especially the online interactive video games now can be used as a tool to lure children into um, into illicit things that again uh, we might we'll probably save that for another another episode because um, I think we're just about out of time was there anything you just wanted to close with or add with yeah before? I think the uh, you know along with the, the the toxic masculinity or masculinity in general with our men I think we just challenge men to take a look at where what your ideas are about what it means to be a man and where those came from and um you know are they healthy or not healthy you, you know um do you want to be this real machismo guy that's really angry and when you you know a lot of times guys come to our group we say give us three feeling words that exist in your life. A lot of men can't give us three. They give us angry, 
And of course, angry is just this massive blanket statement for what really is going on with you. So are you really, and by that I mean, are you sad? Are you anxious? Are you scared? Are you fearful? And I think what we would tell all men is that, you know, you have to be accountable for those feelings yourself. You have to look in the mirror for yourself and say, what does it mean to be a man? Am I or am I not acting out those ways? And if I am, you need to be intentional about about changing that, right? Don't just say, oh, well, I act like a man, but that's rewarded in society, so I'm going to go on about my life. You have to be intentional we want you to be accountable, and I think you just have to look at what your ideas are about about masculinity yeah. and how you fit in. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Will. I'm sure this won't be the only episode that um, that we'll uh, be co-hosting together, but because um, I do want to talk eventually in another future episode about the BIP program in itself and, and, and things like that. I do want to remind you, if you feel like you need uh, the assistance of the Family Crisis Center, if you feel you're in a, a situation you cannot uh, get out of, if you feel like you're uh, experiencing sexual assault or domestic violence or, or any, if you just have questions, uh, we do have that 800 number. It's our 800 uh, toll-free 24-hour hotline. That is 1-800-828-7233. That's 1-800-828-7233. And you can also email us at Center at FCCET.com. And remember, uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Stuart Burson. Be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.